Do you, you want me to go? Do you want me to go? Or... I can go. Okay, go. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Ham Steak Podcast. I'm Ham, and this is Steak. <laughs> Okay, hello, and welcome to the Hamstake Podcast. My name's Alex, and I have not read Homestuck before. My name's Lydia, and I super have. And we're going to tell you about it. Awesome. Um, so this week is kind of a special episode, uh, because we are going to be reading today, or I guess telling you about how we read, um, the end of Act 3, which is exciting, because there's only, like... But there's only six acts in Homestuck. I think we actually haven't seen the end of Act 6 yet. Or no, maybe we saw the end of Act 6 and now we're in the middle of, like, intermission hell. I don't remember. But <laughs> the point is, like, there's six acts so far and there's going to be a seventh. Um, and so, structurally, we are halfway done with Homestuck as it currently stands. Yes, that is, however, a technicality. It, yes, because in terms of page count only, we are 13% done with this comic um, as Ooh. of today. We'll be a little bit more done, but not by much, maybe 14% <laughs> at the end of this week, because so, we've read 1,066 pages. There are 7,958 total. Well, thank you. Thank you for doing that math. <laughs> yes. Um, so... That's 13.4% of the pages, and it's also important to remember that, like, for every page that's just an image or just a sight gag, yeah. there's a page that's either, like, two single-space pages of text, or... Like a three-minute flash. A three-minute flash, or later on we're going to get, like, five and ten and twenty-minute interactive games. So... Yeah. <laughs> here we go, folks. Um, here we go. But, but so what's hilarious is that we've literally already covered enough content that... Um, and over such a slow time frame that we want to give you a recap. So we open with uh, a boy named John Egbert on his 13th birthday, uh, and he wakes up surrounded by cakes that his eccentric father has baked for him. Uh, his father also loves clowns, uh, which he insists on calling harlequins. <laughs> and uh, John resents but loves his father. As a teen often does. Yes. Um, he, go ahead. John is, uh, he's an amateur uh, programmer, not a very good one. He l enjoys magic tricks, and what else? He really, really loves Nicolas Cage movies. Yeah, like, like bad movies. <laughs> um, so then we are introduced in, as we go through sort of the beginning of the story, to John's circle of internet friends. They're all mutual friends. Mm -hmm. um, the next, so the next friend that we meet is Rose Lalonde. Uh, yeah, she, yeah. Go ahead. She's um, she's an armchair psychologist. She enjoys knitting and she loves uh, eldritch horror, like Lovecraftian Cthulhu type stuff. Yep. Um, and she lives with her mother, who is a high functioning alcoholic, um, apparently obsessed with wizards. Then we meet Dave next, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Dave is Dave someone... Strider. Dave Strider. He lives couched in many layers of irony. Um, and he gets that from his older brother, who is so ironic that he makes a considerable living making uh, puppet porn, basically. So ironic. Um, Definitely yes. ironic. Yeah. <laughs> um, and their house is full of... Uh, bro stuff, like video games and Doritos and swords and explosives. Yeah, you know, bro stuff. <laughs> and phallic puppets. Not a great place to, to grow up, I think. Um, <laughs> finally, we meet Jade, who is a... Oh, well, oh, you had a great term in the, in the, in the show notes. Like, the adorable oracle. That's it. Oh, okay. Um, finally we meet Jade, who is, uh, the group's adorable oracle. Um, she is a psychic, it seems, who is also, uh, narcoleptic in kind of a mystic way. Um, and she loves growing plants. She lives on, in a weird tower on an isolated island in the Pacific with her, uh, grandfather and her pet, Becquerel. 
all of Jade is particularly complicated. We will learn more about her. <laughs> yes. Um, so those are our human characters that we are mainly dealing with. Um, we jump between their perspectives, and usually as we jump between those perspectives, we sort of catch them up to the current point in time where John is, mm -hmm. but it gets increasingly confusing as the story goes on and you have to look for cues as to where exactly on the timeline you are. Yeah, so speaking of jumping around the timeline, uh, on top of these present-day uh, human characters, we also have a set of non-human um, carapace people who live in, a, in the desert uh, in the remains of America a few hundred years in the future. Right. Um, they are initially sort of widely scattered in these different sites that have... Um, mysterious sort of command centers that seem to be left over from some, like, very advanced civilization. Um, mm -hmm. But then the command centers uh, rocket off with them inside and they all converge in one spot. Right. And so the interesting thing about those command centers is that, first of all, each of them was originally located at the site of one of our four kid characters. Did we say they're 13 years old? We should specify that they're 13 years old. Um... It's a little bit pertinent, I guess. Uh, okay. And so, and they are character. They're characterized interestingly. It's sometimes age appropriate, sometimes not. Anyway, so these command centers are located where these kids' houses used to be in the distant past when there was an America. And inside the command centers, there are these monitors that allow them to view and then sort of like subliminally communicate with the kids. Mm -hmm. um, and also it's important to note that these command centers have a logo on the outside, which is the same as the suburb logo. Yeah. <laughs> which is kind of, well, if you're looking at the podcast, it's the, uh, our logo, but without our faces on it. Without our face and like meat and a microphone. It's just, yes. the, just the house. <laughs> Um, so, just quickly, we'll go over these, um... The carapace people. The carapace people that we've met so far. They're pretty straightforward. Yeah, so we have the wayward vagabond, who becomes mayor of Can Town, which is a town he makes out of cans. Uh, and he also meets a firefly named Serenity, who communicates by blinking Morse code. Mm -hmm. Then there's the peregrine mendicant, um, who is ritualistically sort of carrying out the actions of a mail carrier, even though, like, she's got all this mail, but obviously all the people it was addressed to are long dead. So she just wanders through the desert with this cart of mail, until some stuff that happens later on, which we'll get to. Yeah. Um, and finally, we have the aimless renegade, who we've just met, um, who's covered in caution tape like a mummy, uh, and who so far has done nothing really but shoot at the other two so we'll find out more about him as we go. Yep. Um, interesting is that uh, there's some there's some really weird technology in these command centers that these carapace people have found. So we talked about the monitors. There's also uh, WV, like the Wayward Vagabond. He has a machine called an Apirifier, which uh, lets him teleport any object from any coordinates in space and time to his location. Like, within limits. It can't be super enormous, but... Any, yeah. any object, apparently, on Earth at any point in time, he can teleport to this little platform in the little station. And um, there are some intertemporal shenanigans going on. When you, when you, when you combine te object teleportation and psychic abilities, you can do cool things with the mail. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, so... That's who we're working with in the future. We told you about the kids who we're working with in the present. So where does this... How does it get pulled together? What is the story here? So the inciting incident, kind of, of this whole story is when John receives the beta copy of this video game called Suburb. Um, Suburb is kind of a reality-bending game that requires two players, a client and a server... Mm -hmm. uh, and the server player can actually view the uh, client player kind of like you would 
view a sim in their house uh and also like the sim you can uh as the client as a server player you can manipulate the house you can build it out you can place objects you can move objects around uh all in the real world of the person who you're playing with right and meanwhile so if the client player's game is the sims the excuse me if the server player's game is the sims the client player's game is an rpg yeah so there's like monsters eventually that they have to fight there's experience there's weird objects that, so the uh server players can place objects but the client players have to interact with them basically right um and sort of the the thing about this game is uh nobody seems to know this when john who's the first of his friends to actually install this game um installs it and tries to start playing it. The thing about starting to play this game is as soon as you do, a timer starts running. Or as soon as you deploy a certain object in the game, like the first object that you interact with, a timer Mm -hmm. starts running. And if you do not successfully do this sequence of actions that requires you to cooperate with your server player, um, your house will be destroyed by a meteor. If you do successfully complete that sequence of actions, which fortunately John does, um, you will be saved from that meteor impact, and instead, well, saved being a relative term, because instead, you, your house, and everyone and everything inside of it will be taken to a pocket dimension. Yeah. Uh, so, and the thing about that pocket dimension is, um, as we later learn from a friendly, sort of reanimated spirit of John's grandmother mixed with a clown, don't worry about it. Um, she knows a lot of stuff, and one of the things that she knows is that, um, you can't save the Earth. The Earth is doomed. Mm -hmm. So your best hope is to get your house and your loved ones teleported into this pocket dimension called the Incivisphere. Um, because as it turns out, the countdown that you get from the game, rather eerily, has nothing to do with you planting that object. It just shows you how long it is until the meteor that was already coming to your house actually hits your house. Right. So we see um, a bit later on when Rose finds the secret passage from her house to the lab next door, that in this lab there is a whole monitor system showing a map of the Earth uh, with all the past and future uh, strike points of these meteors. So... All of this uh, doom is, like, predetermined in a way. And whether you escape to the Incipisphere or not is up to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> and the four largest meteor impacts. Conveniently, first of all, somebody knows when they're all going to happen and where they're going to happen, which is a little eerie. But also, the four biggest ones are either have already happened or are about to happen over our four kid characters precise locations yes exactly so that's the setup that that's kind of, the, the stakes escalate rather quickly about halfway through act one mm-hmm. um so but what happens to john once he gets once he does get drawn into this this game world um he mysteriously still has power on internet because the game, I guess, decides that that's convenient. So he can still <laughs> chat with his friends. Rose can still interact with his environment, you know? Right, yeah. Um, and we learn a little bit about this world. Um, so we learn that the place where John is is called the Medium. And there are seven gates above the Medium that he is supposed to build his house up towards in order to reach a world called Skaya, which is, like, this, the source of creative power in the universe or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and Skaya also has this double golden moon called Prospit, uh, which is seems to be the home of something called the Light Kingdom. And there is a corresponding Dark Kingdom, which, when John entered the world with his... Uh, Nana Sprite, who is clown-themed. The clown part of that went and told the Dark Kingdom to go be clowns. And so 
John is attacked by these imps and ogres, who are all wearing clown hats. Right, and his father also gets kidnapped to the Dark Kingdom, whose name we have not learned yet. Um, But uh, his father is currently being assailed and imprisoned by um, more of these, um, like, jet black uh, carapace people. Uh, But he's given them a really hard time. He's sticking up for himself, so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so both of these kingdoms have these, this yellow and this purple city, and meanwhile John is, is stuck in his house on a rock spire in the middle of what appears to be a void, with just clouds far below. Mm-hmm. And as far as you know, that's the extent of the, the world. Yes, exactly. Um, so John has to go about fighting these imps, and he starts to level up, and there's all kinds of cute game mechanics about how he, like, gains power and, like, gets new ranks and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he also learns how to do some alchemy, which means combining objects uh, that he has on hand. Right. Uh, which gets pretty interesting. Yes, which is used for equal parts um, visual gags and, like, prop humor and um, just creating cool weapons and uh, cool costumes and stuff. Yeah. So so while John is sort of just kind of powering up and learning to make items and all that kind of stuff, uh, Rose is losing power in her house due to the impending forest fire and also giant rainstorm. So uh, through a series of events that involve her trying to get access to a generator and later to backup power, she stumbles upon the door to an underground passage that leads to which we already told you about, this mysterious lab. Bottom line is, her mom's embroiled in some weird stuff that has to do with this game, and she has access to Wi-Fi again. But her house is burning down. And also she finds uh, the remains, the corpse, the stuffed corpse of her cat, Jaspers. Yep. As well as a strange mutant kitten, who she names Vodka Mutini. Mm Mm-hmm. And Mutie accompanies her on her travels from then on. Mm-hmm. Um, so we leave Rose uh, having gotten backed into her house, which is now imminently burning down. The lab has already been destroyed. The meteors are coming. Right. But what she does uh, when all that impending doom is impending is she uh, builds out John's house. Yeah. Um, because it's kind of a running... Maybe not. It's Maybe it's not like emphasized in the comic, but we've noticed it a lot that um, kind of time works very strangely for these kids. They have, like, between sword blows, they have time to have entire conversations via text. Yep. Precisely. Um, Time is is very wonky in this universe, both explicitly and sort of implicitly in the ways that it gets fudged. Um, Yeah. I find it very fun. Um... But yeah, so we leave Rose uh, waiting for Dave to get access to his copy of the game so that he can become her server player and bring her into the medium, saving her from this impending meteor impact. Yeah, the problem is that Dave has been fighting, or strifing as it's called in this world, uh, with his brother for a very long time. For literally, like, I think four episodes. I think the fight started four episodes ago. Yeah. And it just, it's not actually that much time watching them fight. It's mostly just that, like, Hussey will forget about him and um, (laughs) cut back to him. Did we say who this is by? Homestuck is by Andrew Hussey. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Hussey. Thanks. Um... Anyway, so Dave has been fighting with his brother and his brother's creepy puppet cow. Mm Mm-hmm. For a long time, and just recently, really, there's there's very little to say. He lost his own copies of the game due to shenanigans, basically, um, and has f- just finally, at the end of last week's episode, lost, rather dramatically, his fight with his brother, who hoverboarded into the sunset, um, tossing Bro's own copies of the game onto Dave as he hoverboards out of sight. So Dave now has has copies of the game, and he's about to go save Rose. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the final kid that we've met is Jade again. Mm-hmm. Um, so she, her main goal so far has been to go outside and feed her pet Becquerel, who is a radiation-eating canine of some sort, who is uh, 
a featureless white character. Beck is very strong. <laughs> Beck can do things like um, catch bullets in his mouth, teleport people and bullets to near and cosmically far destinations. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can apparently short out view screens from thousands of years away, as we see when one of the um, one of the carapace people tries to peek in on Jade. So he can do a lot of stuff, but also if you throw a bullet for him, he'll go fetch it. So yeah, <laughs> we also meet Jade's grandfather, who uh, is taxidermied. Right, Grandma, Jade's grandpa has had a very formative influence on her life. Has taught her to be a markswoman. You know, seems to support all of her hobbies. You know, he's mm. tough, but he's like very loving. Yeah, he's like a trophy hunter and like a tomb raider, uh, and he's also just dead. He's he's taxidermied. <laughs> he's stuffed. Yep. Uh, this, that seems to be a relatively recent development. Um, so, yeah, that's right. But she still talks about him like he's alive. And uh, yes. she is now just being looked after by Beckerel, the cosmic dog. Um, but so she um, she has fed Beck, and she falls asleep, and she Beck takes her back to her room. And uh, she is now asleep here, which means she's mm-hmm. awake on Prospect. That's right. So it turns out that there is a version of her who lives on Prospect, and yeah, I guess is awake when she's asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this version of Jade kind of can fly around and do dream stuff and like, grow six arms to play the advanced base. The advanced base, yes. Yeah. Um, but she also sees the uh, Prospect version of John, who is asleep in Prospect. Because I guess real real John or not, not real John, but Earth John is awake. Yeah. Well, and so Prospect John has not woken up yet. Yeah. Um, like ever. The idea oh, is what's unique about Jade is that she, that she is awake on Prospect when she is asleep in real life. Oh, I see. And that's like that's why she has this dream bot is to go along with all the things that she does on Prospect. Um, right. Okay. So. Yeah, so so that's why much earlier in the comic, Jade was alluding to John needing to wake up before she could explain some of her apparently psychic abilities. Uh huh. Yeah. Um. So so two more things that should bring you pretty well up to speed um, to where we are right now. Um. One is John's recent crisis about having learned something about his father, and oh, what's the other one? The trolls. Then the trolls. <laughs> So there are 12 um, quote-unquote trolls, because they act like internet trolls. Right. Um, but they seem to be non-human. Um, so there are 12 of them, and they have been in contact with these uh, children intermittently, trying to convince them of something, or trying to tell them something from the future, or we're not quite sure what. But they just kind of yell at these kids through their uh, pester chum chat client. Right, and they mysteriously seem to have access despite like being blocked. They get through, and yeah, and it's it's strange. Um, there are twelve of them. We begin to meet more of them as we go on through the comic, but we don't yeah, know anything so, about them except their names. Yeah, so far we've only seen a couple of them through text. Yep, um, and then. We will see a few more of them this week, actually. Um, yeah. And so the the most recent plot development, as far as John is concerned, is... So John had this sort of fraught relationship with his father. His father tried to be very loving and nurturing and did all of the baking stuff, but also did all of the clown stuff. And John found that kind of suffocating and, and embarrassing and weird. And so it was fraught. And now his father has been kidnapped. He's gone. And meanwhile, John needed to um, get into his father's room for some in-game reason I don't remember, and it's not important. But uh, he's never been in his father's bedroom before. So he goes in through a hole that he's blown in the roof, um, because that's what happens when you're fighting imps and ogres, and is horrified to discover... Or maybe not horrified, but incredibly rattled to discover that his dad's bedroom is entirely bland. He's just a normal <laughs> businessman. 
Yep. John has thought all along that his father was some kind of traveling street performer doing clowny antics for money. Not at all. <laughs> there are no Harlequins in this room. Uh, and so this is sort of a twofold shock for John because number one, his father's just an ordinary guy. He thought he was wrong about a bunch of stuff. And um, number two, once he leaves his father's room and goes back to his own bedroom, he notices that his all of his movie posters, he like has a lot of movie posters for these movies that he loves, they've all been defaced with like scribblings and scratchings of like pictures of clowns and like, I don't know, just like stupid boy, like he thinks, the kind of thing that he thinks the imps have been scratching on his walls. And Rose points out that his posters have been like that all along. He just mm-hmm. didn't see them until after seeing his father's room. Her theory is that for some reason he was sort of subconsciously blocking that out and because seeing his father's room changed his perspective on a lot of things, it changed his perspective on his own room too. We still don't really know what's going on with that, but more important things are going on. Rose needs to get into the game and John needs to get through the gates and so they've just sort of let it go for now. And that is where we left off. Uh, yeah, that's essentially all there is. Yeah. Um, In so many words. Uh, so, so where we pick up is with, uh, Dave having had his ass kicked. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, Dave, um, he chats or he messages Rose, um, and kind of just says, bro, just, just kick my ass. That's all there really is to it. Um, so thanks Dave for recapping yourself, uh, for us. Appreciate it. Um, so from there we get a flash that is a little bit hard to follow. So the action that gets us there is Jade, Pester John, um, which is an action that we've seen before. We we see in this flash Jade opening um, chat conversations, and underneath the flash we see a pester log that gathers all of John and Jade's previous conversations. And what we what we realize we're seeing is all of those conversations from John's pers- from Jade's perspective instead of John's. And what this flash does is kind of explains to us how Jade seems to know things about the future. And mm-hmm. so the way that she knows these things is she's been waking up on Prospit while she's asleep in real life. And when she wakes up on Prospit, um, Prospit flies very close to Skaya. And so when her like tower room gets like pushed into Skaya, like into this like creative energy, whatever, there's clouds floating around um, that show the world. Like they show the world in the past and the present and the future. Um, just images and like little moving images and sometimes more immersive things. So for instance, she, while awake on Prospit, hears a meteor impact um, and sees a huge crater outside of her house. And what she's actually seeing is uh, the meteor impact that created the ruins outside of her house billions of years ago, shortly after the earth was formed. Mm-hmm. Because that's how Skya works. Um, so things like that. She just sees bits of the past and bits of the future. And remembers them when she wakes up. Uh, and also um, messages them through the dream bot. Right. So she is able to communicate with her friends. So she has, you know, she has a laptop and things in Prospect. Presumably she can't communicate from there, but her dream bot is picking up her laptop and actually sending messages in real life, it, it does everything that Jade does, and so yeah, she texts them from this alternate dimension, and while she's asleep, yeah, uh, yeah, it's oh, it's it's interesting, but so that Claire, she's not quite psychic. It's still unique that she's awake on Prospect because none of the other kids seem to be having this experience of waking up somewhere else while they're asleep. But I see, I see, yeah, okay, that's at least how it works. Um, so we see Jade uh, wake up in her room again. And she wants to get back out to the ruins, but um, Becquerel is guarding the door, doesn't want her going out to the ruins, doesn't like her going there. Yeah, so, so both on uh, Prospect and in on Earth, um, Becquerel doesn't let her get to the ruins ever. Right. 
Um, um, but this time, she tries something different. She grabs a harpoon gun mm-hmm. and zip lines out to the ruins. Yeah. Um, and I, like... I don't know. I feel like so. I feel like a couple times in this reading, we see these like girl characters doing like awesome, like daring stuff like that, and it's never like, ooh, like badass action girl. It's just like, well, yeah, that's the next thing to do. <laughs> and like, yeah. I love it. Yeah, that's good. It's very like earnest, like adventurey. I don't know. I, I just I think it's fun. I really love how the female characters are handled handled in this story. Whatever. Yeah, for sure. So, so she she zip lines across um, from her tower to a tower in the ruins, and mm-hmm. that's the last we see of her for a little bit. She well, she leaves her harpoon rope, which is later WV finds in the future. Yeah, it's how it is in the position. She leaves a box there, um, and she leaves the harpoon rope there, knowing that the harpoon rope will still be there uh, thousands of years in the future. Hundreds, hundreds of years in the future. Excuse me. When the Wayward Vagabond is looking to get across a similar chasm to exactly that place. Um, And he needs to go grab that rope. So he can't get to it, so he uses the Epurifier to Epurify the rope's coordinates. But he gets the time wrong and Epurifies it from Jade's time. And so instead of getting the rope, he gets the box. Yes. Which Jade knows needs to get to him in the future. Um, So it's time travel bait. Jade's clever. Yeah, she, uh, so she, she knows that that has to get to the future, and she just kind of figured out how to get it there? Mm-hmm. I see. Okay. So yeah, that's really, that's really cool. It's like, it's not her, like, knowing what to do. It's her knowing what has to happen and figuring out what to do to get that to happen. Exactly, yeah. She is, like, she is smart. She, she's only getting these images, and she is able to piece together, she's, like, orchestrating a lot of things. And and as we'll see sort of later in this reading, like, she's actually orchestrated a lot of stuff. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, meanwhile, we go back to Dave, who is looking over Cal's scattered remains. And at first, I, I thought he would just be like, good riddance. Mm-hmm. But then he's like, you know, I wish I had some more apple juice to pour out for the little dude. Yeah, he's back to trying to convince himself that he, like, isn't deeply unsettled by Cal. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't like that that puppet. <laughs> it's a no. creepy puppet. That puppet appears to move on its own, and we think it's probably mostly just bro moving really fast, moving him around the house, but it's still really creepy. Yeah. Um. Oh, also, in the course of that fight, Dave was fighting with a really shitty sword, and it got snapped in half, as did his strife specimens. So he can now only fight with broken swords. (laughs) Yep. Um, yeah. That's good. And then, um, so we check in with Dave a little bit, and that's his status. He lets Rose know that he's about to come bring her into the game. Um, meanwhile... I'm sorry, I just wanted to point out that, um, Dave sets his syllabus to Scrabble mode. Yeah. Um, which is just, it's great that that exists. (laughs) Yeah, there's... Which is in, like, a totally different way from the board game modes that John was using before. Right. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, so it's another, I guess if you're new, it's a conceit of this story that... We don't have time to explain We that. don't have time to explain. It's... Don't worry about it. Read the comic. It, it explains itself pretty quickly. Um, Rose is reading a letter that came along with John's birthday present to her. And it turns out that um, the reason that she knits now is that he sent her the the yarn and the knitting needles and said, I think that you are creative and I think you could make really great things. Yeah. And also this is a couple months in the past on her birthday. Right. Right. That is important to point out. So uh, Rose, Dave, and Jade are all a, f- a few months older than John. Yeah. Um, and so after Rose reads that letter, still in the past, um, she gets a message from another troll. We sure do. <laughs> this one's name is Grim Auxiliatrix. This troll types uh, with every letter capitalized. 
um, in jade green text, and among other things, they deliver a line that I really, really like, um, which is just, why is it that when the subject of temporal mechanics is broached, your sparing human intellects instantly assume the most ingratiating posture of surrender imaginable? Time is not that difficult to understand. It is a utility the universe may resort to in order to advance a desired degree of complexity, or may not resort to if that is the case. It's all pretty pedestrian. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And, uh, I don't know, they, they exchange barbs, um, and ultimately decide to become friends. Yeah, so there's some weird time stuff, obviously, going on, where, uh, the troll says to Rose, uh, a few minutes ago in my time, you, from your future, said that we should be friends. And then Rose is like, I guess we should be friends, because I said so in the future, which is now. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, it's it's weird. They are they, um, they both initially broached it to each other in their respective. Yes, exactly. Right. Then we cut back to Dave, um, who is similarly a few months ago uh, opening John's birthday present to him, which is the shades that he wears now. Because as he's opening the present, he's wearing shades that look an awful lot like his brother's goofy anime ones. Right. Uh, so yeah, these are the shades that grace the visage of Ben Stiller. <laughs> ben Stiller's weird sort of gaunt face. Um, <laughs> and he obviously, like, it's really cute because he then wears them from then on and we never see him not wearing them. Aw. Then he gets trolled. Uh, well, someone tries to troll him. Yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> um, another one of the trolls named Adios Toreador. Um... This one times Con with a lowercase first letter, all caps subsequent letters, and every line ends with a comma, and it's brown. Yeah. Um, to which Dave just says, like, your typing style is so annoying. <laughs> um, but basically, uh, Dave beats them at their own game, um, and they get really uncomfortable when he keeps talking about his dick. Yeah, so what he's trying to do is is he's insinuating that um, this troll, like, really, like, wants him or whatever, and he's, like, trying to make him feel really weird about that. Yeah. And so he just he just delivers this really beautiful... Dave is, Dave is full of beautiful, vivid imagery, and Dave delivers really beautiful, kaleidoscopic imagery of, like, synchronized swimming of dicks somehow. <laughs> it's really, like, actually, genuinely beautiful um he does get there from a protracted um joke about quote-unquote ethnic weddings which is the second explicitly quote-unquote ethnic wedding joke we've gotten in this comic yeah why and also and also the whole thing is just kind of homophobic yeah um, because well i don't know if this troll is actually male but he assumes that they are so right he's like i'm gonna make you uncomfortable by talking about my dick Right, well, and I mean, like, to be fair, like, that would make anybody uncomfortable. No, yeah, but, like, specifically, like, how much you want my dick and how that's gay. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of casual homophobia, particularly from Dave and sometimes between Dave and John, and, I don't know, it is authentic to how 13-year-old boys behave, but so much of the way yeah. that these characters behave is not authentic that, like, <laughs> exactly. did you have to leave that? Anyway. Exactly. Um... But yeah, do you um, do you want to do some of these quotes? <laughs> sure. You don't have to. No, I would love to read them. So, okay. Dave is basically saying, I want you to let me know when it is you're going to decide that you're really into me because I want to know exactly when I got to clear, my clear some space in my calendar for when some fuckwit blunders out of a magical phone booth and makes a ballad-inspiring play for my throbbing beef truncheon. Um, it'd suck if the universe blew up on account of you missing your window of opportunity to help yourself to a pubescent boy's naked spam porpoise. Uh-huh. That's all I got. Alright. Let's move on. Alright. Um, so, we cut to the distant future where, um, AR is noticing some illegal pictography on the ruins. Yeah, so apparently, um... Pictography, pictures of uh, amphibians and reptiles are illegal. Um, and at first, 
I was wondering if that was like a rule from the dark, the dark kingdom that he's like holding over. And is he like one of these outcasts that's trying to bag the other outcasts and get back in good graces? But it turns out he's, um, he's the, the judge of ammo town, uh, in this little temple. He's kind of just playing judge. He's just making his own rules. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Um, so he makes a little, a little town out of bullets. Well, it's really just a court. A little court. Yeah. Of bullets. (laughs) Um, you and, specifically bullets from leftover from Jade's house because again Jade's house is in these frog ruins. Yeah. So, um, then he's scooping out the other carapace people from his like perch up in this tower, and he keeps trying to shoot them because they are trespassing on the area under the tower, which he's decided is a crime scene for some reason. Yeah. So well, he's he's taped it off it all off with caution tape. Um. And he thinks that they've, like, gone through several layers of caution tape that he's meticulously put out. But they just, like, flew in there of, like, not of their own accord. Right, they accidentally crash-landed there, so, like... Yeah, but he, but he doesn't know that. Right. Um, and, at any rate, the caution tape is really arbitrary, so... But whatever, he's trying to blow them up. Um, but he's terrible at shooting guns. <laughs> so he fails to do that. <laughs> um, and instead, um, just blows a bunch of holes... In things. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you say, you point out one of his lines and say that it's maybe the most meaningful sentence in the entire comic? The most meaningless. Did I say meaningful? No, I read it wrong. Okay. Oh, yeah. So he says, um, the action is, uh, I think it says he, uh, you, you used up a whole clip and managed not to hit them. And then the action is, realize that your weapon is magazine-fed, not clip-fed. And the, the panel actually just says, you don't even care about that. But, um, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what a magazine or a clip is. I don't, I, I don't, me neither. what's a gun? Um, <laughs> pew pew. Um, <laughs> but when I thought, when I thought that you said meaningful, I thought that, that meant like, it's magazine fed, like the comic is influenced by magazines and not clips but that doesn't make any sense so forget about it that's deep (laughs) (laughs) i'm glad we went there yeah so um he's trying to get a an elevator pad Mm -hmm. to go down further in the temple but it's stuck on jade's advanced base (laughs) meanwhile which is all old and like rotting and destroyed right um, so, so as he's sort of dealing with all of that, um, for some reason we get a sweet bro on Hella Jeff. Yeah, I don't, yeah. We're, we're just gonna, this is the one where sweet bro makes a distaction and he steals the car and we just, the punchline of the comic is essentially the same image of sweet bro in the sinking car in the lake, repeated, progressively shrinking. I think you can buy a t-shirt of it. <laughs> it's... God, what a weird, weird piece of art. Um, you can just go read it for yourself. I believe it's page 3023. If you click the comic sans on that page, you can read the comic. It'll be in the show notes also, I think. So just read it for yourself. Um, we come back from the sweet bro, and um, because of the hole that was just blown in one of the command stations, uh the peregrine mendicant, PM, is able to run in and follow the instructions in this letter that Jade, remember, had sent through time, essentially, left at, left sort of with bait for the wayward vagabond to teleport to their current time. So, so So what happened was, Jade set that time bait, basically. Wayward vagabond accidentally appearified the package. It had a letter on it that said, give this package to <laughs> Miss Mail Lady, and mm-hmm. which he does. There's another letter attached to the package for her, and her letter tells her to go to this command station and send the package. Sendify. Sendify. It's a sendificator. Um, she needs to send the package to, as it turns out, Baby Jade. Yeah. <laughs> not Baby so, Jade. Toddler Jade. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, the whole thing was to get the package to the future and then to the past, to herself. Yeah. 
So what's in the package is a letter from John uh, saying, I'm so glad that we're friends. Like, you introduced me to Dave and Rose, and we're all great friends now, and, like, I, um, like I treasure you so much. Um, and what's in the box again? Oh, pumpkin seeds. Pumpkin seeds, because Jade because... is a... Jade, because in the present, um, Jade grows a lot of pumpkins, and for some reason they disappear. As soon as they grow, yeah. <laughs> um, so um, John just sends her more and tells her not to give up. Yeah, so Jade, like, toddler Jade, um, like, Well, he also, first... he also sends her the shirt that we see her oh, wearing right. much later. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, but, so at first, when I was reading this, I thought the punchline was going to be Toddler Jade being like, I can't read. Oh, yeah. I think she's meant to be slightly older than she looks. She looks like like a toddler, but I think she's supposed to be like seven. Yeah. Um, um, it's hard to tell the way that proportions are drawn in this comic. Like, the kids are proportionally a lot shorter than, like, relative to adults than, yeah. like, a 13-year-old actually would be. Yeah. Um, but basically, Baby Jade is like, I don't know who this John person is, but... Growing pumpkins seems like a fun hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, so she just kind of like sets her own future friendships in motion. And so when she meets Jade, or when she meets Rose, I mean, God, when she meets John, um, she'll like know who he is from the future, but it's not psychic. It's just like time stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's weird. It's it is it is our second time paradox induced friendship in under fifty pages. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um then uh the next page just says WAP and it's a big flashing gif of the word WAP. Uh the following page is um Jack getting punched in the face by John's dad with the caption, You bear the vicious brunt of this story transition directly in the face. Uh Um, John's dad makes the choice to set Jack's hat on fire. This is a good decision because Jack despises his hat and chooses to let the prisoner go. Yeah, (laughs) it's really good. (laughs) Jack has been forced to wear the hat as part of the we're the Harlequin people now development. Campaign, yeah. Yeah, um, (laughs) his higher-ups are sort of making him do it and he's not... He's not there for that. He's a cool guy. He doesn't wear clown hats. Yeah. Um, we leave that dark kingdom knowing that John's dad is free, and we go to Jade in the present, still working her way into the frog ruins. Um, she needs to get from one tower to another, and she would rather not swim, so she summons the lily pads using her bass playing abilities, because they sort of control plants. Yeah. And uh, so she hops across the lily pads, and um, in a super cool panel, 3047, uh, she starts to walk into the frog ruins. Um, And we see her just approaching this, like, huge, huge, tall door, and it's super dark inside, and there's just, like, faintly glowing green hieroglyphics. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It is. Um, then we switch to Rose and Dave, uh, very quickly getting ready to bring Rose into the game as soon as possible. And then we have a flash. We do. It's a big one. It's long. Um, Alex, do you want to run down the, the, the major plot points? Yeah, so these are the only notes I took for it, because it was just kind of too much Yeah. at once. Um, but basically, Rose and Dave finally play the game. Um, they hurry and get everything ready to, uh, prototype her turn sprite, Mm -hmm. which she prototypes with, um, Jasper's, obviously, Mm -hmm. and also her big princess tentacle doll. Yep. So it's, uh, like a purple Jasper's with, like, tendrils on his face and also tentacle arms. Yep. So it's good. And (laughs) also- Wearing a princess dress. Yes. Um, and the, um, oh, what is it? Dave. Um, Dave just kind of fucks around for a bit and, like, throws her bed away. Yeah. And she's, like, super angry. And then he, like, breaks the wizard statue whose hand 
we see in the desert in the past, yep. in the future. In the, yes. Um, and... Yes, we, so we saw that in um, WV Ascend, uh, which was, I think, way back in our episode 8. Um, yeah. And... In that, yeah, yep. in that flash, we see the the wizard hand holding the orb sitting in the desert. Um, but yeah, so the, so the main plot points are Rose gets into the game. Yes. Uh, having uh, created this this sprite that is Jasper's and her princess doll. Yes. Um, also, Jade finds a plant thingy in the temple, which I'm not sure what it is, but I'm sure Lydia will explain. Um, and John beats up a bunch of imps and ogres. He beats them up, and then he makes his way to the top of his house and actually jumps through the first gate. Oh, yeah. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. he So he jumps through the first gate, um, which is the, the big goal, or, you know, the first big goal that Nana Sprite laid out for him. Yes. Um, but each gate is, like, um, exponentially further away, right? Yeah. <laughs> or at least, you know, further than the last. Right. Um, but yeah, so, okay. So skip over the next, like, two to five minutes if you don't care about super granular stuff, but this is Homestuck, so in this, like, three and a half minute flash, so much stuff happened, so I'm just gonna run it down really quickly, and you can, we'll put in the show notes, we'll put a YouTube video that you can scrub through and check this stuff out yourself. Um, so, what do I want to talk about here? So, we open the flash, <laughs> and... One of the first things that I want to talk about are, right, that we see Dave break the wizard statue, and so the hand uh, goes flying and ends up where we see it hundreds of years in the future in the desert. Um, meanwhile, what, what Jade stumbles upon in the temple is this huge purple lotus flower sitting on a pedestal, and it's got a countdown, which we later see is synced up with the countdown to Rose's meteor impact for her entry to the game. Um, so as those timers wind down, on Jade's end, something that looks like a kernel appears, and then the kernel disappears, and Dave's betas come out. Um, and keep that in mind, because those those lotus things are sort of important. Um, meanwhile, a, a little throwaway thing that we can't necessarily make sense of just yet is that as all of this is going on, uh, Jade is getting, or Rose is getting pulled into the game, and Jade is seeing this lotus, uh, Nana Sprite is, in the present day, carving with her laser beam eyes into the copy of Colonel Sassaker's tome, um, the letter that John read on a very weathered copy of Sassaker's book, Yes. um, way back at the end of Act Two. <laughs> so, as it turns out, like, that's how... Nana Sprite knew is is that like time works strangely and uh, somehow she actually just wrote that letter now after John yeah. read it. <laughs> so that's another another paradox. Yeah. And also, does she just like throw it into like the abyss? Right. So she flings it off the edge of the house into this like cloudy void, and we see for like just a split second through the clouds. It's definitely less than a second, but you just get a glimpse of the. Um, whatever it is, uh, looks like a planet underneath yeah. these clouds. So it, what it looks like is like the earth at night, like black, um, like black oceans with land masses that are covered in dots, but instead of like yellow, they're blue. They're like a very eerie black and blue planet down there. Right. It's, it's like the entire thing. It's like the earth at night, but the whole thing is night. Yeah. It's totally covered by these by these gray clouds, and then, yeah, it's just, like, it's blue land and black water and twinkling blue lights, and it, I, I don't know. So so we see more of it because after this flash and just the last couple pages of Act 3 are us just silently zooming out. Um, yeah, and, I mean, it's, it's a bit confusing, like, the scale, because you can, like, clearly see the house when you can see the entire planet. I think it's a small planet. Yeah, that's what I assume. But, like, the house is, like, you can still see it as this tiny white speck atop this really tall spire that sticks way out of the clouds over yeah. this planet. Um, so, John is very high up, but 
but yeah, he is on a whole blue glowing planet in the middle of space, and he's just gone through his first gate, and we don't know what happens to him after that. We just see him fade into this, like, blue light. Yes. And that's the end of Act 3. Yeah. Woo! That's, that's it. We did it. <laughs> we are, in some technical sort of way, halfway through this story. Hell yeah. Not at all. <laughs> all right, so Lydia, we have some listener questions. Awesome. Oh, oh, we got to say the thing. So, <laughs> uh, if you guys want to send us questions, um, which you apparently do, we keep getting questions from you. Thank you for sending them. Um, you can find us on Twitter. We are at Hamstick Podcast, and you can give us a, a reply tweet or a DM there. Um, we're also on Tumblr. We are hamstickpodcast.tumblr.com. You can send us an ask there. We do have a non turned on if you want to be a secret person. <laughs> um, our first question comes from. Twitter user Dromedary. And Hi. he asks, What is your favorite song from Ham Stapleton? Ooh, so um I'm just gonna I mean, there's a lot of them that I like and I don't follow the music well enough to be able no, to bring them off no, the top but Lydia, of my head. You have to combine it with a song from Hamilton. Oh, I completely I don't know the songs in Hamilton either. I've actually only listened to it through like one time. All right, I I'm just gonna can't just, multitask. I mean, I I know one of the two of the song titles because there are intro and outro music. Um, okay, well, so you why don't you pick a Hamilton song and I will name a Homestuck song and put okay. them together. Um, the Reynolds pamphlet. Okay, so I really like um, "Suburban Jungle," which is the song from this last okay. flash. And in, fact, and in fact, when I first read this comic, I spent a bunch of time hunting down um, and finding and procuring and trying to foist on my drum section um, percussion ensemble music cool. for that uh, that song because it's all done with like synthesized like mallets and marimba and stuff, and that was my jam in high school. Anyway, I, I, feel, um, <laughs> I feel bad that you're invested in this because the answer, the mashed up answer, is um, yeah. Subgenal's germflit. Subgenal's yep. germflit sounds. Listen, I think actually you could make. I think it, the title sounds pretty hellacious, but actually, if you mashed up those two songs, it could be pretty dope. <laughs> well, there you go. I think it'd be pretty dope. So there's your um, answer. He also asks, "What would we prototype in our kernel sprites?" Oh God. See, I wish it didn't apparently just absorb whatever you put in, because otherwise I would prototype my dog, so then I could have, like, my dog, and then also my, like, spirit right. dog, and, like, they could they could be friends yeah. with each other. Um, but if it doesn't work that way, probably I would prototype, like, my plant, like, my little uh, succulent, because yeah. I think my succulent is dying, and I want to give it a second <laughs> life. And then I would also want to prototype something that can talk. Right. So, like... Just like someone know. off the street. Yeah, I just grab someone. Who. No, I would feed it a corpus of all of my chat logs, <laughs> so it would just become like a little succulent. Just bot. like print them all out and stuff it in there. Yes. Or like a hard drive with them on it, because then you could have like I would say uh, the hard drive. like a robot succulent. Yeah. Or maybe I just add like a. Like a doll or something. I don't know to make it like personified, it, or I guess it's sort of personified. So it anyway. have to be two things. Uh, it can be up. It has to be two things in order for it to be able to speak. Okay. Remember? Sure. Um, mine. Maybe um, I have a Pokemon plush that I could put in there. It's <laughs> Which one? called Fennekin. It's the little fiery fox one. Yeah, Aww. it's cute. Um, maybe that. And mm-hmm. I like the idea of, like, a bot of your own, like, tweets. I, I'd probably put, like, a, a bot of myself, an ebooks bot. Oh, my God. So you could just have, like, a... Like a, a, a babbling Markov chain little fox Pokemon. <laughs> that sounds adorable. Yeah. All right. All right. Solid questions. <laughs> every, every time, Twitter user Dromedary... 
coming through. Yeah. Um, speaking of people coming through, we, uh, our final question is from Dwellington on Tumblr. Um, Hi. And he says, okay, so you two are wonderful and charming, and you're also very good oh. at engaging in it with and enjoying problematic media while still being critical of its faults. This isn't really a question. I just wanted to appreciate y'all for having found a happy con- conscious medium between ignoring Homestuck's problems and getting bogged down in discourse. Uh, thanks. That's um, that's a very nice compliment. Thanks. Yeah. I guess we haven't run across a ton of really problematic stuff recently. It was a little bit worse right in the beginning. Yeah, I think, like, just calling it out when it happens and being like, that's not cool, but let's move on. Mm-hmm. Call it out, engage with it yeah. some... But at the end of the day, be like, I think that this work still has, you know, it still has artistic merit. Yeah, for sure. And like, so, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and I mean, like, that's, I think that's a, the healthy way to um, interact with media or with people. I mean, there are, there are things that are like so problematic that I've just dropped them. Yeah, you have to kind of decide. And like, that's something that like varies person to person. I know personally there's a ton of media that I don't consume because, I don't know, it takes a lot for me to get into a thing, and so if it, like, bugs me immediately or too many times, I'll just be like, I don't care that much. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, I'm not into yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, like, so I think part of the reason that I do try to be pretty good about it in Homestuck is, like, actually I low-key deeply fucking love this stupid comic. Do you really? I had no idea. <laughs> Yeah. You should, like, make a uh, podcast about it. <laughs> Leave me alone. Um, but yeah, thanks. But, thanks for that question. Or comment. Thanks. Um, and that's about it. Woo! We made it! Congratulations, you guys! We made it through Act 3. Um, oh, so, that's another thing. So we made it through Act 3, and unfortunately, um, well... Fortunately, my grandma's turning 80, so <laughs> I'm going to be um, helping my family put together a big, exciting event for that um, next week, and also just traveling a lot, and like I got a lot of stuff going on, so we're not going to be able to do an episode next week, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but we will pick up the following week, um, which will be, so you should look for our next episode on Monday the 21st. And in that episode, we'll be talking about the first big intermission of Homestuck. So are we reading the whole intermission? So um, we're going to spend the next two episodes talking about the intermission, which we're going to split into two episodes because it's kind of long. And so those will be coming out. Yeah, the next one comes out Monday the 21st. So Look forward. Get excited. The, the first one is going to be us reading um, pages 3054 through 3162, and obviously those numbers will be in the show notes, too. So, if you want to follow along. Yeah. Um, and if you yeah. have been listening but not reading, maybe now that there has been a a uh, in-depth um, recap, maybe if you want to start reading now, that would be a good place. I do, yeah, actually, let I want to s- sort of harp on that a little bit, because I definitely will agree with anyone who says that Homestuck is, like, really slow to get started. It's really slow to get going. It labors under a ton of, like, jokes and asides about, you know, adventure game mechanics and, like, pop culture, and it just kind of takes a long time to get going, but, like, at this point, we move at a good clip, and there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, and it's, I've read this before and I still, every time I have to like stop my reading for the podcast, I'm like, but what, what's the next thing? Yeah. Um, um, yeah. And also like I've read it so far and I have the attention span of a spoon. So I think <laughs> anyone can do it. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So yeah, I definitely think that you should pick it up and reading along with us is a good way to do it because it's kind of overwhelming otherwise to just try and knock out all at one go because again, like 8,000 pages, I don't have time for that. So little, little bits, little chunks. Um, yeah. And that's, I guess we'll catch you two weeks from now. As always, like send us your questions. Um, if you want to find us individually on the internet, um, I am brick chip on Tumblr and I'm also brick chip on Twitter. 
Hit me um, up. And I am Leaf Crunch on. Uh, and I am also. Wait, shit. What? <laughs> Excuse me. Um, and I am Leaf Crunch on Tumblr and Crunch Leaf on Twitter. Nailed it. Yeah. All right. Bye, guys. Thanks again. <laughs> Thanks so much. All right. Bye. We'll see you soon. Love you. Aww. <laughs>